You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis and it's all over. The season has finally come to a conclusion. Forest have finished in, oh, I should even look this up, 17th, I think. It was absolutely miserable and we'll discuss that in great length with Reds correspondent Sarah Clapson. First of all, Sarah, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm much better now the season's finished, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly right. And we're also joined today representing the fans, Reds fan Mikey Clark. Mikey, how are you, mate? I'm great, Matt. How are you, mate? Yes, good, good. So why don't we just pile straight in um, and let's just sum up the season in general? I mean, um, Sarah, we discussed it briefly on on Saturday, but just give us your thoughts on how you would sum up the last uh, forty-six games and three or four cup matches. <laughs> disappointing I think um, last summer I think it was last summer when, when we started the season there was such great hopes that Forest would be able to build on going close to that top six you know going close to a top six finish like they did last year having just missed out on the playoffs um, I, I really thought they'd be able to build on that but it, it never really happened they had a terrible start obviously changed manager Chris Hewton came in stabilised the ship kept them up um, but it's just been a, a poor season. I think if you look back, there's not too many games you'd single out where you'd think Forest played great for 90 minutes. They've had good spells. They've pushed good teams close at times. But I don't think there's too many games where you could really say they've been outstanding for the full 90 minutes. Um, it's generally just been pretty poor. And I think the best you can say is that it's over and done with and we can all move on and hopefully look forward to better times and a better season. Would you be equally as uh, disappointed, Mikey, considering, you know, there's always a weight of expectation with Forest, and they never once look like getting anywhere near it this season. In fact, it could have actually been a lot worse than it was. So would you be as, as disappointed as Sarah with the whole affair? Yeah, I would. It, it started bad, didn't it? Big hangover from the season before um, and never really recovered, if we're being honest about it. So, there were times, I think, over the Christmas period, maybe a month or two either side of that, where you thought they've cracked it now in terms of the defensive solidity. We were getting some good results. And there was that sort of glimmer, especially when the guys came in in the January transfer window. Um, so you thought maybe, just maybe, um, the second half of the season might see something spectacular and has rise up the table because it's been done before over the years from certain teams. But we never really kicked on. Um, and the season ended with a bit of a whimper, really, like it started. So, yeah, I echo everything Sarah said. It, it was a really disappointing season. I think in terms of the positives from it, um, we now know what we need to improve in terms of the team and the way we play. And I'm sure we'll go on about that in a bit, Matt. Um, I think everybody's going into pre-season now with their eyes open, Uh, understanding exactly where we need to strengthen on the pitch because of what's happened in the previous 46 games. I don't think, I think you'd be hard pushed to find uh, people that sort of disagree with the fact that we need to strengthen in certain areas. And I think this season was summed up by that final game, you know, some good stuff in the first half, but as soon as we went behind, you might as well have just switched Derbyshire for Wednesday on for those of us that weren't watching it. So yeah, that's that's my summary of that. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 I feel Wednesday. I don't mind admitting that. Um, 
Absolute car crash of a game. Um, right. I suppose a lot of our discussion is going to be premised around recruitment and transfer strategy. So we should probably talk about the potential changes behind the scenes that are being mooted. Um, Sarah, what can you tell people about that, about what we can expect in the next week or two? Yeah, I think we'll see quite a few changes on and off the pitch, really. Um, Chris Hewton will meet with Evangelos Maranakis. There's nothing unusual on that. That's It's just an end of a typical end-of-season meeting, really. Um, Sabrina Lamucci had one last year to discuss what's happened over the past the past year, look at what they need to do better, look at where they need to improve, look at the signings they need. And obviously, as part of that, there'll be a discussion about the behind-the-scenes structure, if you like, and, and perhaps what needs to change there. It does sound like they're looking or, or they want to focus particularly on, on getting the recruitment right, because I think there's a general acceptance that in previous windows, it's not gone as well as what it needs to have done, which is a good start. If, if you're willing to perhaps admit that, then, you know, that's something you're not kind of being stubborn about it. So I think we'll see a few changes in terms of the actual recruitment setup. Um, and also, um Yanis Ventros is considering his position at the moment. Very uncertain about what that will mean. Um, I'm not sure that even he has decided yet. It, it seems like he's considering a few different options. It could mean him staying at, at the city ground in a different role or going to Greece and, and working as part of the Evangelos Maranakis set up somewhere else. Um, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about that at the moment. But in terms of the recruitment, I, I think Forrester are going to look to to not, not wipe the slate clean, but but make changes and and try and focus more on getting the right signings in and making sure that Chris Hewton has the best possible opportunity to achieve success because next season will fall down or, or, or be a success based on what they do in the summer. Um, I don't think you can get away from that. They need a good summer transfer window. They need to make changes. They need to get the right players in. So it's so important that Chris Hewton has the right support network around him. Um, ultimately, he'll have the, the final say on who comes and, and who goes. But he needs help. He can't do it all by himself. So I think it's right that the club are looking to do that and, and try and freshen things up a little bit and add a, a few new faces. And it sounds like there'll be quite a focus on the analytics side of things, which is interesting. Um, I know it's a it's such a big area in football now and such a, a key part of the game. So it, it is going to be interesting to see what that means in terms of the players they bring in and, and what impact they have. But I think it can only be a good thing that Forrester are, are looking to freshen things up a little bit. Do you think, uh, we talk about analytics and the, the direction of travel seems to be they're going to sign a different kind of player, a, a younger player a, 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 from perhaps a little further down the pyramid, Sarah, we think. Yeah, I think they'll certainly look that. I don't think they'll completely rule out looking abroad for players because they've had success on that front before. But I think it is an area that Chris Hutton wants to look at. Um, and, you know, there's so if you can get the right players in, there's so many hidden gems, if you like, further down the, the football pyramid in League One, in League Two, further down than that. Young players who are impressing for their clubs and, and deserves a chance higher up the ladder. Um I'm sure that Chris Hewton's got a list of targets at the minute. It's it's just so dependent on on other clubs, on, on 
the club that you're looking to get players from. Um, you can start out with one list, move down and, you know, end up bringing in completely different players. So I don't think we'll see anything quickly. I think it's going to be a while, um, largely because you, you often find that at the end of the season, players tend to go straight on their holidays, the lucky things, if they can travel now. Um, so I think we'll be... I think it'll be a few weeks before we start to see a bit of a bit of movement. But um, yeah, I think there'll be big changes. Let's go into our awards then for um, who we think deserves what. I suppose the obvious place to start is player of the season. Um, Mikey, you can go first on that one. Uh, who stood out for you? Um, <clears throat> I guess when you asked this question... In previous seasons, there's quite a lot of contenders, maybe not so much this season. But with that said, there were a few players that made a big difference when they played. Um, I think, you know, the actual awards have gone out, haven't they? I think Forrest tweeted Worrell and uh, uh, Martin for the Young Player of the Year. And that's something I wouldn't disagree with. So um, I think Joe Worrell, head and shoulders above pretty much anyone else, if I'm being honest. And I did give this a lot of consideration. Um, but really, I couldn't think of anybody that has made the impact that he's made. It was telling that when he was out at the start of the season, I think he had a foot injury or something, I can't remember. But um, we were all over the shop. If you remember, we were letting in two, three goals. We were two, three nil down at half-time in, in a lot of games. Um, and he came back in and almost all of a sudden, there was that sort of calmness that he, he exudes in his play. And also, with, with not having fans there, you could hear him scream every five minutes, which you didn't really hear any of the players do. And he makes such a big difference. I don't know whether it's because he's, you know, a Nottingham lad. He has that passion um, for the club, which just exudes from him when he plays. But he's a really good player, a really, really good player, certainly at this level. And he makes such a difference. And the good thing is he can play on either side as well. So, you know, when Figueiredo's in there, he switches to the left, doesn't he? And then... Um, with McKenna in there, he, he plays on his more natural sort of right-hand side. So, for me, it has to be Worrell um, because of his performances and just because of the difference that he makes in the team. Our defensive record with him in it is better than some of the teams that are in the playoffs in a couple of weeks' time. And I, I think that says it all. So, it's Worrell for me, Matt. Uh, for the people who are watching on Facebook when they're streaming live, do feel free to comment and disagree with what we're saying. Um, and I'll flash up a few comments as we go along. Sarah, would you go down a different avenue or is it Worrell for you as well? No, Worrell, absolutely. I don't think there's any other choice. He's been he's been brilliant. I can't remember him having a bad game at all. Um, he's been absolutely outstanding. And yeah, it's his leadership as much as anything and the fact that he's a vocal presence, he's constantly talking to his teammates, constantly directing them, encouraging. I know there's a lot of discussion about who deserves the armband and who should be captain. I don't think it matters because whether he wears the, the armband or not, Joe Wall's a leader and he, he just he just has that presence about him. And technically he's got so much better this year than he um than he was earlier, perhaps even last season, he's just progressed even more. Um, I think there's a few players that I'd give honourable shout-outs to. Um, James Garner's come in and, and been brilliant. He His levels dipped a little bit in the last few weeks, but then he went and pulled out a goal like he did on, on Saturday. Um, but he's made a real difference in the midfield, I think. Cyrus Christie's had a good second half of the season, um, so I'd give him a shout-out as well. Um, he He found it tough to start with, but 
I, I think the second half of the the year he just kicked on and he um he just looks a lot more comfortable and a lot a lot more confident. Um I'd mentioned Scott McKenna as well. I think he has been really good since he came in. He's looked like he could be a great signing. Slotted straight into that back line. I know he's obviously been out injured for quite a while, but I thought he um I thought he made a real difference. Um but there's not too many real contenders, I think. Joe Wall's just so far in front of everybody else this year. Um, if you're looking attacking wise, there's nobody really that's made a big difference because Forest have struggled for goals. So you're looking at the players that have have helped out defensively more than anything. Yeah, I'd give it to Warrell as well. I'll play along with this and, and do the awards as well. I give it to Warrell. I think, like Sarah says, there's not really and Mike, there's not really any other realistic contender for me. I think I give Christy a lot of credit because he was struggling badly in the first half of the season, I thought, and he's turned it around uh, and won fans over, and that's not easy to do. But it's interesting reading your piece, Sarah. It was really good. I'll drop it in the comments after about Worrell's progression from Dagenham to where he is now in terms of leadership. Um, I wasn't always on board with this mate Worrell captain thing, but when you read it, I would make Worrell captain next season if he's here, which is another... Another question, I suppose. I mean, Mikey, would you have Worrell as captain now or, or, or not if he is here? Without a shadow of a doubt. And can I just say, I'm glad Sarah mentioned some of the players because I said there was a few and then proceeded not to mention any. So thanks, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, going back to Worrell, without a shadow of a doubt, he is, um, he kind of represents, I guess, if I'm on here talking to the fans, I think most fans would say he represents us in the team, you know, local lad that's got in the team, big voice, big heart, and a really, really good player. And I think he he is one that you would follow, um, definitely. And, you know, Sarah said as well, you know, our team this year, and I, I suspect probably next year, will be built on defensive solidity. And I think, I always like having captains as centre-backs anyway, because they can see the whole pitch. Um, rather than say somebody up front, for example, or a goalkeeper, well, actually, maybe a goalkeeper. Um, but certainly for Warrell, I think he's he's uh, he's he's the leader you want. He's somebody that represents the club, represents the fans. He's got a big heart, big voice. He's really good. He's a great player, and I think you know we should all cost try and keep on to him. Then whether we're talking about it in a bit, Matt, around you know what needs to change for next season, but you know. We have been selling one or two key players every year. So I say fingers crossed, if he's still here, then he should be captain without a doubt. Uh, yeah, we'll come on to what needs to change, definitely. And I'm sure that'll be a topic of discussion. Um, what about goal of the season? I joked to you, maybe both of you, that I couldn't even think of a, a particularly long shortlist, if you know what I mean. Um, Mikey, that you go first on this one. Which goal stood out for you over the course of the season? And I did we come up with one? Because I'm not sure we did. <laughs> no, we didn't. Sure in the end, no, it's like scrape no. the power and think of what you can. I think there's a couple that stand out for me. Um, you know, this weekend's one was a cracking finish from Garner and a good move as well. So I think that's up there. Um, but I think Amiobi's second, I think it was against Millwall. He plays, he gets it on the right side, plays a one-two with Mighton, I think it is, and then curls it round the keeper to the keeper's right at the Trent end. That was a wonderful goal because it came on, reminded me a bit of the season prior because it came on the counter-attack. Um, six or seven seconds later, we're having an attempt at goal. 
brilliant finish, good one too, good celebration afterwards with pretty much the entire team. And that's kind of a point where you're thinking, oh, maybe something could happen. I don't know, we kind of slip back into our old ways then. But for me, that goal was everything. Just reminded me of the season before, it's everything that I like seeing quick, fast, aggressive football um, with a really good finish. And yeah, Matt, I don't think there's many. You know, scratching around, you could probably think of three or four um, that could be up there. Yeah, but for me, it's Amy Obi, second goal. Sarah? I was struggling to think of many goals, let alone good ones. So, uh, um, James Garner's on Saturday, I think that would be my pick. But there was also, and it's another Garner one, um, was it against QPR, his, his, his free kick where he wasn't quite sure if it was a, a cross or, or a shot on goal, but, but that was a, a brilliant strike as well either way. So one or two of James Garner's, but there hasn't been many. Um, the Freeman one, probably um, the Amiobi one as well, but I'm trying to think of other good goals and really struggling. Um, but Garner's just got such a great strike on him. He hit that ball on Saturday so sweetly and it just flew into the top corner. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so that would be my pick. Yeah, I, I could only think of four. Um, Freeman's meaningless one against Bristol City. Uh, Graben versus QPR from outside the box. Uh, the one Mikey mentioned about Amiobi. And then I thought the best one was the one on Saturday um, the Garner one, because it was a good move and it was good, interesting to see Graben getting involved a bit deeper, whether that's a, a sign of things to come for next season if he's here. But um, yeah, I thought it, it was Garner. I suppose we should talk briefly about Garner, Sarah. I saw a question earlier about whether he'll be back. I suppose there's competing theories around, it revolves around Chris Hewton and what man you think of him. Is that Forrest's best lifeline of getting James Garner back next season? Yes, definitely. Um, I know Manchester United do think very highly of Chris Hewton and the job that he's done with um, with James Garner, but whether that's going to have a big enough say, I think is a bit. It, it's certainly um, it's certainly unsure. I think that it, there's going to be other clubs competing for him. I don't think you could argue with that, and he's going to have the final say, I guess, on where he wants to go. If there's a, a lower end Premier League club that that thinks that he could do a job for them, then I think you'd struggle. Then Forrest would struggle to get him back if there's somebody in the Premier League that wants him. Or if Manchester United think that he could be in and around his squad and have a chance. Again, there's talk of um, clubs abroad uh, and perhaps him going elsewhere. Maybe he wants a different type of experience. Forrest are going to have the work cut out, absolutely. They've got to try. They've got to do the best to get him. Um the Hewton link is going to be the, the key, but whether it's going to be enough, I think is it's going to be tricky. Let's um, change tack. This is a wider philosophical question, about not just specifically about one thing, but biggest disappointment around the season. Uh, it doesn't have to be a player. It could be anything, really. Um, so I start with that, actually. Um, I suppose my biggest disappointment is just the, the transfer policy going back to the summer which I think turned the gun on their own feet and in hindsight. And kind of it was so uh, haphazard and erratic that it, 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 Forrest were up against it from the start. I think I've said this on here before, but when they signed Yano, I was actively annoyed and thought, you know, what is the point of signing a fourth left-back? I suppose Bong at that stage didn't really count in the sense he was so far out of it, but they'd already got Blackett and they got Ribeiro and then they signed Yano. And if you look at all the signings in isolation, I think pretty much all of them, you could say, actually, yeah, that's a decent player. That's a decent player. 
But when they signed Harry Arter, I thought, yeah, that's a good signing. But where, what does he need? What does, you know, why do they need him? And in the end, they've ended up in this situation where we're you know, hitting reset again. And I think the danger that Forest have is around stockpiling players. And I read a piece over the weekend about Sheffield Wednesday about how they have found themselves stockpiling players. And over the course of a few years, that's been a factor in their demise. I think Forrest are blessed they don't have an owner like Chancerai, but you do worry, or I do worry about this long-term stockpiling of players. And I hope what we've been talking about earlier with Sarah and about looking at a different type of signing is um, foreshadowing what's to come around much better transfer policies because that's certainly been my um, biggest disappointment. I think that's my biggest rant on this podcast in a year, so I'll, I'll stop <laughs> It was there. a good one. Thank you. Um, Mikey, what's your biggest disappointment, mate? Um, don't we need more central midfielders, Matt? We've only got 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I think, I think I've got two, to be honest, but I think they're intrinsically linked, in my head anyway, I think. One of them is the catalyst to the other and vice versa. And it's slightly different to yours, Matt. So my first one is the underperformance of some of our senior players this year. And I I don't really like naming names, but I'm I'm kind of going to because it's end of season review. So I'll just throw a few out. So uh, players like Freeman and Knockart and Arter and Taylor and, even Lewis Graben to a certain extent, Christie in the first mm-hmm. half of the season. These are all players that have proven at that level, maybe not Taylor, certainly the rest of them, proven at that level that they are very, very good established players. The thing is, the argument is, should I say, are they on the downward trajectory in their careers? So Forrest I've always had this thing in my head anyway, that we always sign players sort of two or three or four seasons too late. I could probably give you, in fact, if you ask anybody, they could probably give you 10 players over the last three or four years where that is the case, going back to players like Chris Burke and people like that. We always seem to get them in just as they're on the downward trajectory. And the thing is, when you bring one or two players in like that, um, you can almost find that blend and it, it's not necessarily noticeable, but when you bring four, five, and six people that are potentially 30 or older, um, not as good as they once were, even sort of 12 months ago, it's really, really noticeable. And so I'll just pinpoint one or two things. So Knockout, you know when I've seen Knockout play against Forest, I used to hate watching him play because he destroyed us. So whether it's for Brighton, um, Awful, and every time he got the ball, I thought, "Oh God, he's going to take on our fullback, um, whip the ball in." But when he signed for Forest, I thought, "Okay, he's, he's, is he peaking as a footballer? You know, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Uh, I think he's twenty-nine." Um, and it was evident from maybe the first few games that he just doesn't have that that spark anymore. And I guess the same with Harry Arter, and the same um, with you know. Luke Freeman, every time I've seen Freeman for, for Bristol City when they used to play in wide, not necessarily in behind, he was the best player on the pitch for them all the time. And you, you interject these players into into a team that just missed out on the playoffs and you're thinking, yeah, perhaps that's going to give us that final push. But what became pretty evident is that the blend just wasn't there and it didn't work. So, you know, the question has to be asked, especially with the lone players, 
are these players that we that we want to return or should we, as you said, Matt, be looking at, and it's not just all about age, but should we be looking at slightly younger players in maybe lower divisions with something to prove, with a bit more energy, a bit more pace, because um, we don't really turn defenders these days, do it? it's all in front of them. Um, so that's a big thing for me, you know, maybe too many senior in brackets, professionals coming in at once, upsetting the blend of the team, uh, you know, with a sort of lack of lack of pace in the team was was absolutely evidence. That's one, and I guess the second thing as well is, is the pragmatism of the manager. And I don't know whether this is, like I said, a catalyst from what I've just spoken about, or whether it's the cause of it, or vice versa. So, Chris is is a very it is a pragmatist by by nature. We've seen his we've seen his sides in the past. His Newcastle side, his Brian side. Um, it's almost like for like what he's done this season. And you've got to remember as well is Chris has had ninety percent of last season. So I think he came in what after five games. So we had forty odd games. Um, and what I saw on Saturday, I saw pretty much in the first month, which is mm-hmm. like for like changes very pragmatist approach um, and not necessarily trying to do anything more creative or, 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 you know, slightly different. Now, I guess the question is, is that because of the personnel that is inherited because he can't, because they're all the same, like I said, certainly our front line, for example, or is it just his remit was, I'm going to keep these guys up. I'm going to get them one of the best defensive records in the division, which he did. And then in the summer, I'm going to get my own players in with a bit more youth and exuberance. And, you know, then you'll see um, what he's done in the past with, you know, Newcastle and Brighton in particular. That second season, that third season is where he's really stamped his authority. So I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that that's the case. But yeah, my biggest disappointment is just our, our style of play and the, um, the output of some of our senior players. Sarah, what would you add to that? Anything different or would it be something similar for you that's been disappointing? I guess it's it's probably linked to what you've both said, really. It's that Forrest, linked to the recruitment and the, the performance levels, it's that Forrest didn't kick on from last season. Um, I really thought when they got so close to being in the playoffs that they'd be able to build on that this year. And I know there's... You know, there are, there obviously was a hangover and there was all the, the big changes in the summer and they haven't gelled as a team. I think that's probably, you know, some of the, the factors around that. But I really expected them to do better and to be up there challenging again and to um, build on what they'd put in place because there was there was something there. They had last year, particularly, the team spirit was just so good and that carried them a long way. And I really thought with the some of the players they brought in in the summer, there was too many, but I thought some of the additions they made would allow them to build on that and, and really have a good go. And they didn't. I think that's probably the biggest disappointment that they, they've ended up. They were scrapping around the, the relegation zone for a little bit and then the season just petered out and it was just it was just pretty dismal at the end. Um and also, I'd add to that that just the general disappointment of this season of not playing in front of fans. It's been utterly awful. It's been so soulless, um, and it's been it's something that you wouldn't want to repeat. I really hope that fans are back in from the very start next season because it's just not the same. It's it's awful playing in front of um, empty stands. It just doesn't 
mean the same. The atmosphere is not the same. I think you can tell from some of the players out there on the pitch that it affects others, affects some more than others. Um, it has an impact on, on some results more than others. If you're on a, if you're in a difficult spell as a team, it's it's hard to try and get out of it if you haven't got the fans behind you encouraging you trying to get you over the line I'm not saying that it's not an excuse it's not a a, you know it's not the whole reason behind why Forest have done so poorly this year but it's something that I think they would have done better if supporters had been in the stadium so if I was to press you for a mark out of 10 since you have to give player ratings every week a mark out of 10 for the whole season Sarah um probably a five or six 5.5 5.5 between the two. Um, it, I just think it's been... There have been some positives, the defence particularly. Um, there have been games where they've done well. There have been games where they've been pretty close to the teams at the, the top end, but they're not where you would want them to be in the table. Um, yes, they've, they've stayed up and they've avoided being on that that mad final day relegation showdown. That was a positive, but... I think should do better than what they have done. Um, I would have thought I would have expected them to be higher at the table. So for me, it's quite a fairly low mark. I think. And in terms of player cards, right style, Mikey, would you go higher or lower than a five point five? Might have gone a bit lower. I've gone three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, the reason I've been harsh. <laughs> the reason I say that is is. Very much what Sarah said, I think not having fans there, you know, a lot of games have felt like testimonial games, but that's not necessarily the club's fault. You know, before I, I tell you why I said three, can I just say, you know, those last 20 minutes on Saturday, that would not have happened if fans would be there. I think with one cross in the box, just just wouldn't happen because you get fans roaring the team on or shouting at them or whatever. Um, and plus the impact that it has on the opposition, they'd naturally drop deeper. It just didn't happen. It's just a constant sort of. Uh, you could switch on any game this season and not know necessarily what minute it was or what the score was because the tempo has just been, you know, other than maybe the odd ten minutes, it's just been flat because of the fans not being in there. Um, but my three is not because of that. <laughs> my three is because there's just been almost no redeeming features about the season other than we've stayed up and we didn't do a derby on the last day and be dragged into that. I think I'm hard pushed to think of any real games I've really, really enjoyed. Maybe the QPR game for 20, 30 minutes. That was that was that was good. But blimey, over the course of nine, ten months, if I'm picking out 30 minutes, it's not great. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three. Um just because we did the bare minimum map. That was it. If people put numbers in the columns, I'll flash a few up just for a quick straw poll, see what people say. I th- I think it might be more like Mikey's number here than Sarah's. I was I was torn between four and five because I think they were in danger of being a bit like Derby at one stage. They could have got maybe not that bad, but um, they did do the job and stay up. I think the entertainment factor is a, a big thing. And I think from what Nathan Tyson was saying on here last week and Colin Frey about the lack of crowds and how that influences games was quite interesting away teams now or home teams don't feel the pressure of the crowd to actually go out and attack. I've seen a lot of games when it's 1-0 and they're deathly dull because teams will just sit even more than they would do before. 
and other way teams will just wait till the last 20 minutes to have a go and try and sneak a point. So I would give give it a four, I think. It's been I think it's been the most mundane season I can remember. I can't think of any season that's just meandering. You just oh, just can't wait till it's over, like this one. So I would go, I would go for a four. I would, in terms of marks out of ten for the manager, which I'll ask you about, I'd be a bit more optimistic and give Hughton a six. I think because he's steadied the ship and um, done what needed to be done, and I hope. He's been thinking of laying the foundations towards next season. That's why we've seen this kind of quite stoic, pragmatic football that Mikey referenced in terms of getting the foundations right. And if Forrest do build on that solid back four next season, I think Hewton's actually done a pretty steady job this year. And we we all have been clinging to this second season syndrome, which is quite reversed for Chris Hewton compared to the rest of football, where he does seem to find another gear. So... I'm hoping that's the factor behind it all. And I would give Hewton a solid six and hope there's better to come. What about you, Sarah, for the manager? I'd go with a six as well. I think he's, he's done a, he's done the, he done what he needed to do. He kept Forrest up and he, he steered them away from, from danger. Um, there's something to build on. I think, um, he's, he's put, <laughs> Setting that you know, making Forest hard to beat and getting a, a solid defence in place is is giving them a foundation. Now it's all about what he does beyond that. Um, I know we mentioned it earlier about about him being a, a pragmatic manager, and I, I don't think that's going to change. I think we'll probably see that next season again as well. But I think he will add players that can make a difference. I don't think we're suddenly going to see all out attacking football because I don't think that's Chris Hutton's style. But what I'd like to see is that he brings in players in the summer that can have that little bit of moment of magic and cre- create chances, score more goals. Um, but I mean, in terms of what he's done this year, he's he's kept Forrest up. That was what he, he needed to do. He, he steadied the ship a little bit. He's um, got a few a few players that came in in January. I thought they made a decent contribution. All right towards the end of the season players like Glenn Murray um, like Kravinovic perhaps didn't have the kind of impact that you thought they would when they first came in but his record in the transfer window when he had the chance to bring players in was okay Um, he got players in that did a job so yeah I think a a six is about about right. What about you Mikey higher than a three? Question is, do I bottle it and raise my score, or do I go somewhere? <laughs> no, stick two guns, uh, Okay, I've, I've given him a four. Right, so my thinking behind this is that uh, he, Chris, obviously stabilised us, but there was only five games gone, and I keep going going back to this. You know, he, he has had ninety percent of the season. Um, and like I said, I didn't see anything different in the last month that I saw really in, in the first month. However, we are in the Championship next season. He has had time to have a good look at players and his track record. And I know people say he did it years ago. Yeah, but until he stops doing it, that's his track record. So his track record suggests that in the second season, the third season, when he gets his own players, his team will move on. So yes, I'm giving him a four just because it was really dull this season. Too pragmatic for me. Um, didn't change it enough that he's done the bare minimum and the basics which has given him time this pre-season to, to do what he needs to do so I am you know I'm positive I'm optimistic although it may not sound like I am 
but but I just think I'd be surprised if a lot of fans don't agree with what I'm saying. To be honest, it hasn't been. You know, you don't go to bed on a Friday night and think, "Oh, Forest are playing at twelve thirty on TV on Saturday. What what a great game that's going to be!" You just think, "Oh, we might get a nil nil or a one nil." I don't want to see that next season when the when the teams um, when the fans come back into the ground. Um, it needs to be certainly at home a little bit more adventurous. Um, so that's where my fall comes from. Maybe being a bit slightly harsh, be interested to see what everyone else thinks. Man. So um, that leads us into next season then, I suppose. And Sarah said about what comes next. I mean, if you were to have a blank canvas, Mikey, what would what needs to change to get Forrest to where they need to be within a reasonable budget? Oh, great question. Okay, so um, we mentioned earlier on about the defensive stability being better than some teams in the playoffs. So logic tells you you don't really need to change much of that. I think the only challenge will be if we do have to cash in on Worrell, whether they bring somebody in a bit more experienced than, than Lloyd can be so, because I'm not sure Figueredo will stay around. Um, other than that, I think the back four makeup, whether we get Christie back or not, I think it's there or thereabouts, the way of playing. Um, the wingers mm-hmm. took him back in. It's the way Chris Uton plays. No worries, really, about the sort of back end of the pitch. I think the front four all need to change, every single one of them, in my opinion. So, you know, we've scored 37 goals, I think it is, this season. I think only Derby have scored less, and they're terrible. So that tells you something needs to change. Um, and it's not just about that front four as well. You know, <clears throat> the midfielders need to chip in, the defenders need to chip in. But I guess it all starts with a bit of creativity up front. So I guess my wish sorry, I guess my wish list would be get some more um, creativity and youthful exuberance in that team. And the good news is we've kind of already got a couple of those players. So Brennan Johnson's coming back. He's done brilliant in League One. Get him in the team. I think I said to you, Matt, I would have had him in the team in January, never mind next year. Um, get him in the team, absolutely. There's a little lad called Carvalho who I know uh, gets little mixed reviews from fans. Some people think he's brilliant. Some people are just, you know, don't get him at all. I'm kind of on the fence a little bit with him, but I tell you what, I'd rather see Carvalho in the number 10 than Cafu, for example. So I think he should be given a chance. And I think, you know, Alex Martin, another year on, he's shown this season he's, he's very useful and will only get better, which which enthuses me. Um we probably need somebody on on that other, other side because it, it sounds as if Amiobi is leaving. Uh, Lolly, I'm not sure, is going to be fit for next season. And I think the strikers, um, that's the key thing for me, like the strikers. Let me just take you back to uh, Billy Davis, and everyone loves him. His first um, spell in charge of the team. His first full season, he put together four strikers, if people remember. We had Blackstock, Earnshaw, McGoldrick and Adi Bola. And they were all different. So Blackstock was, you know, tall, ran the lines, great in the air. Earnshaw was that box-to-box poacher uh, in the box, sorry. Um, McGoldrick dropped deeper. And, you know, he's been doing that at Premier League level since then, other than poor Sheffield United, obviously. Um, And then you had Adibola, who was almost like the option. You know, nothing's working, bring him on, tall, powerful lad, get the ball in the box. The manager then had options. What I see now up front is no options. So Graben can drop a bit deeper, yeah, but, you know, what is it going to be next season? Early 30s, K 
can you ask him to do that all season? Has he got the creativity? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe just for the odd game. Um, Lyle Taylor's disappointed and Glenn Murray looks like he's retiring. So there's, there's no options there. He needs a complete revamp. And it has to be a revamp with options. There's no good getting two more Lyle Taylors or two more Grabbins or two more Glenn Murrays. That, that's just not going to work. We need people that are different. I could go back to those four that I've just mentioned. You know, we need somebody maybe small and quick and, and fast, maybe somebody who's just a, a beast that we can just get the ball into the box. So it'd be really interesting to see what he does in, in that front half, of third, from third of the pitch, sorry, because I think everything behind it, um, other than maybe a creative midfielder um, and obviously Beg Garner to come back, I think the foundations are there behind it. But yes, complete revamp in that final third, definitely. You you won the fans over with your um, Chris Hewton comments, Mikey. You probably lost them at Carvalho or lost half of them at Carvalho. But um, yeah, plenty of support for you. Mikey, there's even a question for you specifically, as, uh, as which we don't get for guest fans very often. So I'm going to ask you it from Yvonne Wilson, who's a regular viewer. Yvonne, hello. What do you think about Knockart, Mikey? Oh, thank you. Um, what do I think about him? He's, uh, again, it's just a play with sign too late. He's not one that I think um, I'd bring back. I think he was bought in because Chris wanted people he could trust. So that's why, you know, Bond got in the team. That's why he bought Glenn Murray in. Um, and obviously Knockhart as well. He, he's, he's been with them for years. He knows what they're all about. He can trust them. But I've, I think I said earlier that where Knockhart a couple of seasons ago would beat a man with a bit of pace, do a trick and whip it in. He still tries to do that. But I don't think it's it's kind of in him, you know, it's in his legs anymore. So, although he's a very technically gifted player, I think Gary on the previous podcast, Matt, mentioned about his temperament and a uh, maybe some people know how to wind him up. I think that that doesn't enthuse me, to be honest. So um, that shows he's getting frustrated. Maybe that you know his brain wants to do something, perhaps that, he, that his legs can't. So. Um, do like him as a player. Um, I just think, again, he's just one on a downward trajectory and one that I wouldn't look at bringing back. I'd rather get in um, somebody from the lower leagues that, that is, it's going to improve. And then if, if he gets great, we can sell him on for a profit. I think there's too many players that we get in that are on the way down. And then the sell-on value is minimal. So I, I don't know whether we'd loan Knockout or whether we'd buy him. I suspect, I suspect if we want to get him in, it's going to cost a bit of money. And then the salon value is zero. We've, and we've seen, you know, that he's not necessarily the knockout that he was a couple of years ago. So I hope I've been um, fair with that assessment. What about Sarah then? Um, one thing that you've referenced all season is a lack of pace. Is that one of the big things that you think they need to, to change over the summer? Yes, definitely. Um, I'd agree with Mikey that the attack needs to change without question. They need to bring in... They need to bring in strikers and they need to bring in um, players that can create chances, um, attacking midfielders, wingers. Um, they need more. They need to have more about them because there's so many times this season they've just been so flat and just offered very little. They've had some nice, they did again on Saturday, had some nice build-up play and passed the ball about neatly and nicely. But, but when it came to trying to cut open the opposition and, and trying to get Preston or whoever else on the back foot, they didn't. They did it in spells. They did it now and again, but not for long enough. Um, and they need more. They need. They need more about them going forward. 
so I think that's the main area that they're going to focus on in the summer um depending on who who goes um I think defense probably like we said is near enough it it doesn't need too many changes it will just depend on if anybody leaves or if um, new contracts don't get signed but they they just they need to add more flair more creativity more pace um yeah they they just need a, a big overhaul up there um and it's going to take a fair bit of work i think yeah i agree i think if your buzzword's pace mine would probably be dynamism i think it's all too too static i hope they can change that in the summer and i think like mike said brennan johnson's going to be an important factor in that i hope and maybe Tyrese Fawn and have a look at him, a defensive midfielder who's done well at Plymouth. But I think they just need something. They need a spark out wide and certainly up front. So I think those will be the big things they need to change. Someone to stretch teams as well. I mean, you know, Taylor didn't do what I thought he would. I thought he would be stretch teams, stretch back fours and be a bit of a battering ram. And he wasn't really that. So hopefully we see that from him next season. Uh, or maybe they bring someone in. But like Mike said, I think the, the foundation's there with the back four, and I would be happy for them to bring Christy back. So hopefully there's something to build on there. Um, I'm just going to read out a list of people then that I sent to you both, and you can we'll, we'll just go through these uh, yes or no in terms of if we want them to be back next season, and then we'll finish with some, hopefully, some reasons for optimism. We'll talk about the out-of-contract players and um, those who are on loan. So, um, Sarah, I'll throw the list at you. This is a yes-no one, Sarah. Oh, I like you... these ones. Yeah, I still want those, yeah. I know you do, oh. yeah. That's why I'm going to start with you. <laughs> yes or no, uh, back at the club in any capacity, knockout. Is this who I want, if I want them back or if I think they will be back? You want them back? Knockout, no. Kravinovich? No. Freeman? No. Christie? Yes. Ribeiro? Yes. Amiobi? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Sambasai? Yes. No. Dawson? Uh, not in a playing capacity, but in yeah, some so other role. I'll give you that qualification. Thanks. Uh, Glenn Murray? <laughs> no. I didn't ask about Ghana because I'm just going to assume that everyone wants Ghana back. So, uh, Mike, I'm going to throw the same list your way and then I'll rattle through it before we turn our attention to finishing the podcast. Um, Knockhart? No. Kravinovic? No. Freeman? No. <laughs> Christy? No. Uh, we'll come back to that. Um, Ribeiro? Uh, yes. Amiobi? No. Sam Basau? No. Uh, Dawson? Same as Sarah, in a, in a other capacity. And Glenn Murray? Uh, no. So I'll just rattle through the list and then I'll follow up on Christy with you, Mikey. So I would say um, no to Knockart, yes to Kravinovich, no to Freeman, yes to Christy, yes to Ribeiro. I would say yes to Amiobi and then no to Sau. Same answer for Dawson as the other guys and no to Murray. So I'm probably a little bit more um, optimistic or uh, generous there, I suppose would be the word. So, Mikey, what about um, Christy was the interesting one from you there. Um, how come you don't want Christy back? And who? what would you be looking at as a right back next season then? 
Yeah, this was the one that I was 50-50 over, um, and I only decided maybe five minutes before we started this. So I can understand, especially from his second uh, second half of the season, he's been all right. He's been good, certainly improved, and he's been part of that back four that we said has done really, really well. The only reason I wouldn't bring him back, there's a couple of reasons. One is because I think he's got a year left of his Fulham contract. So I think he's out of contract, but they've got a year mm. option, which obviously they extend because they try and get some money for him I would have thought um, so he's going to cost a lot uh, whether that's a loan fee or permanent um, plus we've got a couple of really good right backs that have been chomping at the bit for a few seasons now so we've got obviously Jordan Gabriel um, I think Richardson's still in the books as well so I'd really like one of them to be given a chance certainly Gabriel because every time I've seen him I do watch a bit in the lower leagues um he really impresses me. He's quick. He's like a young Christie. He's quick. He's uh, uh, very aggressive for a fullback. Gets forward loads. So I think if they can, um, I think if they can iron out some of his uh, deficiencies, um, and I think the idea was maybe he, he was to start this season, because um, I think if you remember, he was in the team, and then he went, he quickly went out on loan. So I suspect they saw he, he wasn't quite ready. So now he's at his loan spell for a year this is his chance to get back in so for me I'd, I'd assess him and Richardson if he's still there um, in pre-season and if, if we feel that perhaps um, they're not quite ready yet then maybe explore other alternatives but I'm not sure Christie will be one for me because if, like I said he's going to cost a bit um, and also I'm not too sure he's he's any better than what we what we potentially could get if that makes sense Matt uh, yes, it does. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, you've spoken to Gabriel and you've seen him play. Obviously, do you think he might be ready now? He played at Blackpool team and really well and played really, really good football. Worth a look, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think he, whether they get Christie back or not, Jordan Gabriel is is absolutely still worth a look because he's had a really good loan spell. He's done well. Um, I know his ambition and, and the general aim is for him to come back in pre season to show Chris Hughton what he can do and try and push for his chance. Um, and he deserves an opportunity. Same with a lot of the younger players. You'd like to see them in pre-season get that chance um, to show what they can do to impress Hughton and, and push for a place in the team. Because you do need, the, you know, the squad does need to change. They need a bit of an overhaul. And if you've got decent players on the books already, why not make the most of them? That's, that's what they're there for. You've got young, hungry players already there some of which are catching the eye of other teams, use them, make the most of them. Um, yeah, for me, I'd absolutely give them a chance. There's a, a kind of a follow-up from what we were saying from Gary Knights here about we've got the likes of Colback Cafu. That's a bit harsh, I suppose, because he's been a regular, I think, but I'd probably switch him out for Arta. Uh, Bong, Bashiru on our books. Uh, there's a question about who would keep them, but I suppose on the flip side of that... The, the ball's actually in their court a bit more, isn't it? Because they're under contract. I mean, can you see Forrest actually being able to ship some of those lads out, Sarah, who are on good salaries? I think they'll try. Um, perhaps not all. Jack Colback, I think, perhaps out of those that group, he'd be the one for me that I'd still keep around. He hasn't played a lot, but he's been on the bench a bit, more more so than others, more so than the likes of Bashiru and Arta. I don't think there's too much question that if they can Forrest will try to move those two on and they might have a bit of trouble but they haven't really been 
the, the second half of the season particularly, they've not really been involved at all. Um, Cafu's been in and out of the team. I think he's he offers a little bit of flexibility in that he, I mean, he can play in a few different positions. Perhaps he's not quite so good in some of them, but you can move him around a little bit. And I think sometimes that's beneficial. Um, others, I'm sure they'll try try and move some of them on if they can, because Hewton wants to work with a smaller squad. And to do that, Forest have got a lot of numbers at the moment. When you factor in, like we said, the younger players coming back as well, he wants to work with a smaller group of players. So you've got to let some of them go or, or try and move them on at least. Um, and I'm sure that they will try to do that. Let's um, finish. Actually, I do like Colback as well. I'll defend Colback. I think he's, there's a there's a Ben Watson-esque resurrection in there somewhere, I'm hoping. Um, let's finish by looking ahead to next season then and see if there's any optimism in the camp here. I mean, Mikey, you're uh, a diehard Reds fan. Are you, are you optimistic about next season at all? I am, absolutely. So it might not have come across that way. That's <laughs> off an hour. Um, but I am, totally, because of, like I said, we've got the foundations there at the back half of the team. If we can add that creativity going forward, I think it could be a really, really good season. And we're one of the teams that have absolutely suffered with fans not being there. You know, you look at a team like um, Sheffield United in the Premier League, they have they are the archetypal team that have suffered so much with fans not being there because of the way their ground is, uh, because of the way they play. And you, you've seen, you know, the team that pushed for, you know, um, Europe last season has now got relegated. And we're the same, you know. There's a lot to be said for what happened, certainly at our ground. And the, the fans, when they're on side, can really get behind the team. So I'm, I'm, I'm really optimistic. Um, I think... We've got the right man in charge. And I know I only gave him, what did I give him, a four out of ten. Um, he just ticked the boxes that he needed to tick this season. But I am very optimistic for next season because his track record proves that he can deliver. So he needs to be given the tools to deliver. And by that, I mean he needs, uh, how do I put this nicely, to have the final say on a lot of things. Um to be given the freedom to uh, bring in the players that he wants, um, to get that mix that I spoke about, certainly in the final third areas. And then I think that as long as we start well, it's so important to start well. So we had a big hangover from last season to this season. We never really recovered. But on the flip side, if you start a season really, really well, it gives you that foundation to then push on. So even when you do go through your blip and everybody goes through blips in the season, you've, you've got, you've racked up points and you've racked up team spirit and understanding through success. Um, you know, because if Chris is sending a team out there and they're winning most weeks, um, people will listen more to what he's got to say. But if they're getting beat every week, it kind of chips away at you. So I think if we start really, really well, start positive, keep that defensive stability get some new, energetic, enthusiastic, young players in the team. I'm really optimistic for next season. Um, I think it could be something really, really good. And I'm not you know, trying to sort of overstate it. Um, but you look at Barnsley. You know, Barnsley stayed upon pretty much the last kick of the ball last season. Look at them now. You know, I, I reckon they'll probably win the playoffs. And they play a great brand of football. So that's, you know, time for a manager to come in, implement his ethos, which... Chris has had the time now. We had a lot of last season. 
this is the key thing. These two or three months, you know, they've they've got to be busy. And I've never been an advocate of some of the turnover of players uh, and staff that have happened at the club in in recent um, years. But I think it's warranted this season. I think everybody understands that. So, yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic. Got to start well, though. Really have. Yeah, I I was... Definitely agree with everything you say there. I'd be optimistic as well for those reasons. I think I like the noises coming out about changing things behind the scenes that sound like they're going to go a different direction transfer strategy-wise. And then the only thing I was going to follow up on what you said was about the fans. It's interesting when you you speak to former players, Nathan Tyson was on and Paul Anderson's been on here as well and probably other players. And they've said that Forest fans are different, but in a positive way about how they get behind the the teams. my brother's a Wolves season ticket holder he was. I used to go and watch Wolves quite a lot um, when I wasn't watching Forest growing up. And their fans are incredibly negative and they'll just jump over you. And I do think Forest fans are different. I mean, they're not like going to back the team, you know, no matter what. But the, I think there is a different atmosphere at the city ground and get fans back in. I think that can make a difference. Get the signings right. Houston's built the foundation. So I do retain optimism that next year, is it 22 years of trying? Might finally be the year, but we shall see. But we, we always retain that eternal optimism, which is probably why we're fans. Um, Sarah, I'll give you the last word. Are you are you holding out hope still? Uh, yes, but it, it depends on having a, a good transfer window. That would be my um, my qualification, I guess. They have to get the right signings in. They have to make sure they have the right squad in place. If you give Chris Uton the tools, I think he could do something something with them but it's it's so dependent on having a good transfer window my only concern would be if there's too many changes again like we had last season and particularly when you factor in the behind the scenes changes as well what impact that has but I'm pretty confident if they get the right players in I think they'll be in a much better position um, for next season. Right, that is our season review done. So thanks very much to everyone who watched along and joined us all through the season and uh, listen on iTunes and watch on YouTube. As ever, do give us a good rating and subscribe uh, and a good uh, comments are always very much appreciated. We'll be back through the summer with a few player interviews. We've got a couple confirmed already and hopefully have two or three more and we'll come back whenever there's signings or transfer news or anything else and catch up with Sarah and a few other people. Um, Thanks very much, everyone. Sarah, thank you very much as ever. Thank you. And Mikey, thank you very much. You've won some fans today, I can tell. The comments are very much in your favour. So thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, We shall see everyone soon. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.